Um, I want to go ahead and talk today about building the church one dinner at a time, right? What, what a strategy, what a strategy, come on, building the church one dinner at a time. Now, there's a lot of wisdom in this, really, and even though it's kind of um, funny when you think about it, uh, it is certainly a great strategy for building the church. Most people who come to the Messiah come, uh, or, and, and to church, they come through an acquaintance, most of us. You, using dinner parties is one of the ways that we birth and foster relationships. This has been done since the most ancient of times. We see this modeled in the life of the Messiah and his disciples. And today we're going to take a look how we can use this model to reach our acquaintances for the Messiah as we collaborate with him in building his church. He says, I've come to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so he's building her up. And one of the ways that he did that was through dinner parties. This is going to be our strategy for our summer outreach emphasis. We believe evangelism, the work of the kingdom, should be fun and pleasurable. So we're going to take all that awkwardness away from it and make it more natural and organic as we learn to reach out and do a better job in um, representing the Messiah to everyone around us. So let's take a closer look at this model for outreach. We've been talking about it for weeks, but I want to come back to Mark chapter 2 verses 14 and 15. Jesus, as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and he followed him. Verse 15, and it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house. Jesus. The next setting is he's with Levi in Levi's home, reclining at the table. That's Jewish code for eating a meal, eating and drinking, fellowshipping, schmoozing, if you will. It happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many of them, and they were following him. Obviously, the text doesn't lay out for us the time that transpired in this event coming to place and really kind of is representational of several that probably occurred before and then later after this event. What this is giving to us is kind of a peak view into the life of Jesus and how he reached people. He did that through small groups sharing meals in a very natural, organic way. And he just talked with people, met them where they were at, met their needs in their life. And people said, I like this guy. I want to follow him. It was powerful in every way when you think about it. Now, Levy, like everybody else, has a circle of close friends. Every one of us has maybe 8 to 15 friends. That's our circle of influence. It often is family members and some, some people maybe outside of our family. But basically, we all have 8 to 15 friends. In the Greek, the word that's used for that circle of, of uh, friends is the word oikos. It simply means household. And so when you read the term household in the, in the New Testament, it's often a reference to your personal family and a few associated friends. That's your oikos, your household. What did Jesus do? He penetrated Levi's personal relationships, his friend's group. He jumped into his oikos, and he got to know Levi's friends. And through them, they each had their oikos. And all of a sudden, there becomes this infinite number of possibilities as Jesus interacts with many different households through one man, Levi. It was amazing in every way. When you think about it, the potential for growth is enormous. Now, what would the application be? Well, every one of us has an oikos, that circle of family and friends. That's our personal 
mission field. That's your personal mission field. You don't have to go overseas. Overseas has come over here and is all around us, right? That's our personal, personal mission field. And, and what we got to do is, is um, you know, in, order, in order to be effective at this, we have to do some things like, like, you know, maybe make a list with names on it. Pray through, Father, who are those people you've put in my front row? Who are those people you've put in my path? And begin to write down some names of those people in your path, right? And then identify kind of where they're at in their lives. Are they lost and alienated from God? Are they, are they believers but not plugged in anywhere? You know, where, where are they at in their spiritual journey with God? And kind of list that there too. And then use that to pray for them daily. As you ask the Father, help me see what you're doing in their lives. I want to participate with you, Abba, in reaching them and touching them with your love. And so when we pray over, when we get serious enough, we're writing down names and we're praying over people and we're looking for ways to minister to them who are in our front rows, in our circle of influence, people are going to come to faith. People are going to get plugged in. People are going to get united. And our communities are going to change. Our nations are going to change. And our world is going to change. But if we're passive, if we're passive, and we don't fulfill the mandate that God's given to us, this beautiful mandate to represent him and to be used by him to touch people around us, well, then the enemy's camp's going to rise up. And they're going to be the world changers. And that's not going to be good for any of us. So we got work to do, and this is part of how we do that. So what I want to encourage people to do in this application, and there's a lot of different ways to do this and a lot of different strategies. This is just one, one that we're going to jump into. I want to encourage people to host or lead a dinner party a minimum of twice a month on a Friday or Saturday night. I'm going to ask you to pray about committing to saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to choose you know, the second and fourth Friday or the second and fourth Saturday evenings to, on purpose, invite my list that I'm praying over to a dinner party on Friday night or Saturday nights. And I'm just going to eat and drink and laugh and look for opportunities just to, 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 to be the love of God to them. Now, I'll tell you what. I can do that. I love eating. I love laughing. I love talking to, to friends. I, I love that. Now, not everyone's like that. There are some introverts that that, that is not their best day. But, but it doesn't mean introverts don't do that. It just means that they need some downtime after it's over. I just need another party. You know, so I want to encourage people to begin to think about that. That's twice a month. Now, I know it takes some time to clean the house, prepare a meal. Um, we have ways to help you do that, ways to, to send out in your invites, um, ideas about what people can bring so it offsets some of that workload on you. But you do have to clean your house, and then after everyone leaves, and trying to get them to leave if you're successful is always a task. Uh, but then you got to clean up, right? So it is. It's some work. It's some commitment. It's some cost because you're going to do the main dish. But you know what? It's worth it. Twice a month. One week on, get a rest the next week. One week on, get a rest the next week. I got a better idea. One week on, invite yourself to someone else's party next week. Anyway, think outside the box, right? Okay. Like Jesus, he just invited himself over, over and over and over. I love that. I love that. All right. So, so that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to talk more about that in a moment. And then after our service today, those who want to even, uh, ask more questions and get down into the weeds on some of this. Uh, we're going to have a sign-up form for you and begin to give you uh, a network of support so that you can do this uh, uh, over the summer. And then from that point on, but summer is always the best time to get out and barbecue. So, all right, so let's look at this a little closer. Shabbat, Sabbath, the seventh day, Saturday. This is specifically designed by God himself for redemptive kingdom dinners. The kingdom of God is a dinner party. 
Do you realize he has eight annual feasts or seven, depending on how you want to count them? And they're called festivals from the root word feast, which means to eat and drink and laugh, dance and sing and shout. And he centers the redemptive cycle around his redemptive calendar of holy days that are all parties in the kingdom of God. And the weekly Shabbat is that weekly party that commemorates the annual party that memorializes Passover, which is a type and shadow of our salvation by faith in the blood of the Lamb of God poured out for our sins. There's a lot there, right there, I know. Let's take a break and get something to eat. Okay. So, let me give you a passage in Isaiah 58, verses 13 to 14. Before I go there, God says through Jeremiah, return. He says to his people, return to the ancient paths. Return to my ancient ways because I've infused blessing in them. So I'm talking about the ancient paths. Most of our culture, even our churches, have already neglected and have forgotten about the ancient paths. I, I want to help us all to return to those. They're a little bit foreign, a little bit awkward because... We're so far removed from them. But I want to remind us that God is calling us back to his ancient paths because therein lies the blessing. And God's all about blessing. He wants to bless us. And by design, he's already put it in place so that as we return to it, our lives are blessed. So, let's jump back into this. Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. God speaking through the prophet says, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, it's holy to God. God says, you know, if you'll turn away from your stuff that you get to do six days a week, and on the Sabbath, if you'll turn to me and my ways, listen to what he says, it, it's my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord, honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. That's one of the ancient paths all the way back to creation itself. Even before we were created, it was blessed and sanctified and set apart for us ahead of time. It's an ancient path. And God says, if you'll call it holy, if you'll take delight in it, I'm going to bless you and cause you to become the head and not the tail in the world that you're living in. This is a big gift to us. The Shabbat, the seventh day of the week, not to be confused with the first day of the week. We're called to make this day, the seventh day, the Shabbat, the day that's holy to the Lord. We're called to make this day a deeply spiritual day and to fill it with celebration and joy, eating and drinking, laughter and blessing. It is a holy day to be honored over and above all other weekdays, including Sunday. Sunday's a common day. Monday's a common day. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday is a common day. We have special effects here to make my point. <laughs> the seventh day, though, is a holy day. It's holy to the Lord. It's holy to Him. It is a 24-hour period of time, sacred time, set aside for God, your families and faith community. Now we have six days to pursue our purposes. Six days to pursue our careers, our livelihoods, our weddings, even our funerals. Six days a week. Schedule all that, all your stuff on all those days. Graduations, high school graduations. I told my firstborn daughter, I can't go to your high school graduation. It was not a holy day. Couldn't go. I didn't go. Broke her heart, but she understood this. 
that God was more important to me than her. Papa had his priorities right. You can't idolatry, you can't, you can't place your, your loved ones in a place of idolatry where they come before God. No one comes before God. You have six days to schedule your graduation. If you schedule it on the, the, the Sabbath, I won't be there. I know that doesn't bother you. Okay. But it bothered my daughter. Okay. But she understood it. And, uh, and then my next daughter, same thing. Couldn't go to that either. But you know what? We honored God and his, his day. And that spoke volumes. And God honored them in ways that were so special that transcended what that graduation was all about. In the end, they were so grateful. They were so glad. That weekly Shabbat is set aside for God. If your, if your wedding anniversary falls on it, schedule it for a different time. Birthdays, schedule them to be celebrated at a different time. The Shabbat is holy. It belongs to the Lord. He is king of creation. He comes before everything else, right? My mother knows that she's not more important to me than God is. And she's proud of me for that. She understands that. We have to learn to put the kingdom of God first. And everything else will find its place. When we go on vacations, we don't take a vacation from the Shabbat. I was on a cruise ship. That was tricky. I was on a cruise ship. They didn't have any congregations on the cruise ship. They got, you can go watch movies, you can gamble, you can swim, you can do everything, right? So what are you going to do on Shabbat? How do you keep it holy? We didn't do any of those other things. We set aside the time. We did family devotions. We went up to a, a little area and tried to even do some evangelism. We enjoyed the day. We studied. We relaxed. And then the next day, we continued our cruise vacation. But a vacation is not an excuse to neglect our fellowship with God and his people. We cease our work. We cease pursuing our stuff on the Shabbat because we love God. We love his son. We love the Holy Spirit. Fidelity to the Shabbat is one of the evidences of our love for God and his son. So, we are to make the Shabbat a day of great joy. God says, make it a delight. You make it holy. He already made it holy. He says, now you make it holy. You're my people. I redeemed you. You're holy unto me. Now make this day holy unto you. How do we do that? You, you do that by having your biggest, most extravagant meals on Shabbat. And everything tastes better on Shabbat. My spaghetti tastes better on Shabbat. It can be the same spaghetti. It doesn't matter. The day makes it better. My food's better. My drinks are better. My merriment, my laughter. I make it better on Shabbat. Mourning and weeping is banned on Shabbat. Negativity, banned on Shabbat. I don't watch news on Shabbat. It's negative. I have six days to get negativity. But on Shabbat, it's about positivity, right? Yeah. Bad attitudes banned on the Sabbath. You must smile. Turn that frown upside down, right? Get a smile. Joy and gladness are the occasions of the day. And you got to make it that. See, gladness is a choice. Happiness is a choice. You got to choose and decide with purpose to be happy. You got to choose and decide, I'm going to be glad. I'm going to break this funk I'm in. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver myself from my bad attitude. I'm going to focus on what God's doing and I'm going to learn to be glad. Do you, do you realize one of the reasons God sent his people into captivity? He, one of the reasons is they were grumping. They were negative. They were fault finders. God says, I'm sending you into captivity. Man, I'll tell you what, I've told you this before, I'll tell you again. I used to get spanked for a bad attitude. I didn't even have to do anything. I, there was no behavior associated, just have a, a bad attitude. I'd get a spanking. I'd look at my dad and say, what that, what's that for? He'd say, nothing, son. He'd smile and say, nothing, that's for nothing. Now do something. 
Oh, yeah. So I never got really bad in my behavior because it was stopped in my attitudinal phase. Yeah. So on Shabbat, you know, we got to choose to foster a good attitude, to be happy, to be glad. It's a choice. You can actually choose and foster that. Your, your, your mind and will to decide that with the help of the Lord will change your hormones. Your body will begin, your brain will, will, will obey your command and release happy hormones and change how you feel. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 28, 47. This is one of the reasons God's going to send his people in captivity. He says, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. You were grumping. Even in your obedience, you had a bad attitude. So I won't accept it. Because you did not serve the Lord with your God, your God with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all these things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord will send against you in hunger and thirst and nakedness. In, in the lack of all things, and he will put an iron yoke on your neck until he has destroyed you. God's about attitude. We have plenty to be happy about. We have lots of blessings to be glad about. We need to focus on that, be glad about that, and especially on Shabbat, foster that. It is the day of celebration. It's a memorial to our redemption from Egypt, our own personal sin and shame. It is a reflection of the grace of God in and through his son Yeshua. That day represents that. When we choose to serve the Lord in gladness and joy and to make him blissful in our hearts, he in turn will bless and prosper and promote us as a people group. Notice what he says at the end of this passage. He says, I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. I started this journey 40 years ago, actually a little more than 40 years ago. I turned to the ancient paths, you know, at a very young age. Started to embark on this journey of embracing God's holy days and God's holy ways. So counterculture, so counter to my church culture. And I can tell you right now, God has made good on his promise. It's so very true in my life. My life is overwhelmed with many blessings. I'm so ha uh, happy and so grateful for all that God has given to me. He has made me a son of my father, Jacob. He'll do that for each and every person who sets their hearts on his kingdom first above everything else. Now, this weekday is holy. All other weekdays, including Sunday, are common days. Exodus 20, verse 8 says this, Remember the Sabbath day to change it to Sunday. That's how I read it forever. Okay, so let me read what it actually says. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath, not a Sabbath, the Sabbath. The article in the Hebrew is the, the Sabbath. The seventh day of the week, Keep it holy. How do you keep it holy? You make it different than all the other days. You make it different, sacred, holy. How? By doing your biggest meals. Drinking, dancing, shouting, communing, studying. It becomes the king of the days of our week. So we're commanded by God to keep it holy. We can do this because we have the Holy Spirit to help us. Right? Isn't that true? We have the Holy Spirit. It's not the speaking in tongues spirit. I speak in tongues. I speak in tongues all week long. I pray in the Spirit. But I want to say this again. It's not called the speaking in tongues spirit. It's not called the prophesying spirit. It's not called the healing spirit. It is called the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, the main objective and purpose of the Spirit of God is to make us holy like He is holy. So when God says, make the Shabbat holy for yourselves, how are you going to do that? Through the Holy Spirit in you who will lead and direct you in making it holy. 
Holiness is the art and work of the Holy Spirit. And the Shabbat is one of those holy, sacred times that God has given to us to enhance our lives. So now let's look into another fundamental way we're commanded to keep this day holy. We make it holy through the convocation. We're commanded to convocate. But what in the Sheol does convocate mean? Who knows what convocate means, right? Convocate on this day. Convocate? What is it? I've never heard the word convocate before. I was reading the King James one day, and I thought, what does convocate mean, right? Well, here's the definition. It means to gather together. It means to assemble yourselves together for corporate worship and instruction. This is one of the main pillars of the Shabbat. How do you keep the Shabbat? One of the ways you keep the Shabbat is you come out of your oikos, you come out of your household groups, you come out of your family groups, and you meet together, corporately together, for worship and instruction. Okay? So Leviticus chapter 23, verse 1 through 2, we'll look at this. It says, The Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. There's that word. Holy convocations. Don't worry about the Israel thing. I know people say, well, that's not for me. It's for Israel. Well, Jesus is for Israel. I don't think anyone's going to give him up. So if you can embrace the king of the Jews, Jesus the Jew from Nazareth, line of the tribe of Judah, you can embrace what he's grafted you into, the olive tree of Israel. He's written the Torah on your hearts. You're one with his people. So run with me. This is a part of your group identity, Israel. As a Gentile, you're grafted in. Okay, through Messiah. So you're going to proclaim these holy days as convocations. For six days, work may be done. That's slide 75. But on the seventh day, there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all of your dwellings. There's that word again, convocation. Slide 77. This is just a different translation. Instead of the word convocation, it says you are to gather for worship. Okay, gather. Go down to slide 81. Another translation. The Lord spoke to Moses. Speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my, my appointed times. The times of the Lord that you will proclaim as sacred assemblies. See, the concept of the Hebrew word is gather together, worship, receive instruction. Let your kids marry one another. That's another form of evangelism, right? But you got to get together corporately for that whole thing to kind of gel and take place. So part of keeping the Shabbat is coming out of your home groups, your house groups, and joining with everyone else to celebrate. And God says, if you do that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you and unite you and strengthen you. So in summary, we're commanded to come out of our oikos, or household groups, for the corporate Shabbat gathering. Now, I want to be careful here on what I'm saying. I want to be sensitive. We have to come out of our small groups and gather for corporate worship in an established, elder, accountable congregation. In the Hebrew Roots movement, we are known for being our own prophet, priests, and kings. We all have our own little home groups. We call them house churches. And that, that's kind of where we're at, right? Trying to get people out to gather together is no easy task. There's, there's a pretty significant number of people that don't come because they're saying, well, I already have house church. It's their home. It's their oikos. That's where they keep Shabbat. Actually, you're not. You, you're, you're commanded to be a part of an established group that has elder accountability. That's the local church. Your home group is significant and important, but it doesn't replace the corporate community. The church is found wherever the people of God are. 
But those people are called to gather together specifically into local congregations at the appointed times. And then they can have small groups all other times during the week. But on Shabbat, you got to come out. You can't stay in your homes. you got to come out and gather together. This is a part of what we see throughout the scriptures. The exception to staying home on Shabbat is if there's no Messiah-centered elder accountable congregation in your area. Then you, then you can stay. Or if you're sick, please stay home, right? We learned that with coronavirus. Stay home if you're sick. Actually, Moses told us that thousands of years ago. But yeah, so if you're sick, stay home. Good news is we got live streaming. And so you can watch it from there if, if, if you need to. Now, there are house churches that actually have established elders that lead those house churches. Those are legitimate places as well. They're just smaller gatherings, usually in a home. But there's an elder there that's accountable to a local community for how he handles the groups, what he's doing in the groups. It's got to be accountability or people get hurt. People get hurt. So, here's one of the common myths in the Hebrew Roots movement. Being a father or a mother somehow makes you the pastor of your household. That's a myth. You're a parent, not a pastor. You have a home and a family, not a congregation. The home and the ecclesia are two entirely separate jurisdictions. The home has its own jurisdiction. The church has its own jurisdiction. I was eating with a family. They were new to the harvest and the, the papa, very, very, very strong family, patriarchal in its, in its organization. And so I'm over there getting to know them. They're getting to know us as, as a community. And so he wanted to get th some things straight as he's, he was, you know, looking at maybe getting more involved in our congregation. So we're sitting at the table and, and he says to me, he says, Pastor, I just need to let you know something here and don't take it, you know, personal or anything like that, but I need to lay this out for you so you understand it. He says, uh, this is my home. I'm the head of my home. This is my family. Don't ever, ever, ever correct my children. And don't ever, ever try to do that with, with my wife. It's my home. I'm the head of the home. And you need to understand that. I said, man, I get that. I, I like that. In fact, I'm a little bit like that too. Man, this is like, we're, 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 we're like, you know, I'm running with that. That's good. like that. Now, I need to tell you something as the pastor of our church. If your kids are writing with permanent mark markers on my walls, I'm going to go correct them. In fact, if anyone in your family is doing things in the community that puts the community at risk, I'm going to correct them. Because that's not your home. That is the congregation of the living God. And I'm leading it, and I'm responsible for it. And so that's my jurisdiction. I'll stay out of yours if you stay out of mine. We both had a beautiful relationship from that point on. You know, it was, it was great because we understood those different jurisdictions, and that's important for us to understand that. Now, I'll make a promise to you. I'm not going to try and pass myself off as your children's parent if you agree not to try to pass yourself off as their pastor. Can we, is that, well, let's think about it at least, right? We can at least think about that, maybe dialogue on that later. But we have to understand this issue of jurisdictions. We have the civil government, the home government, and the ecclesiastical government. So I just want to help us to understand that because when it comes to the Shabbat, we are called to gather together in the ecclesia, the local community of faith, where we are to learn from the Lord, be instructed by the Lord, be encouraged by the Lord, and be reproved and corrected by the Lord. That's what he does at the appointed times. Can I get an amen? amen. I know, it's a little bit... Okay, so, I can hear... Some people saying, give me some New Testament. I mean, that's like good stuff. You got some good stuff. But that's like Old Testament. Old, as in ancient pathways. Is there any new pathways? Give me some New Testament, right, Pastor? Thank you. Jesus and the Shabbat. Let's look at Jesus. I love Jesus. 
I love what he showed us, what he modeled. I want to follow Jesus. You want to follow Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. Here's the big question. WWJD, right? What would Jesus do? Got the Shabbat here, right? What is Jesus going to do, right? Do you think Jesus is going to skip the corporate gathering on Shabbat? Do you think he's going to stay in the small groups on Shabbat and do ministry? Or do you think he's going to jump in the corporate assemblies? What would Jesus do is the wrong question. The right question is WDJD. What did Jesus do? What did he do? Not what would he do. What would he do is always quite complex. What he did is a lot easier. So let's look and see what Jesus did in relationship to the Shabbat. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, Jesus. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on Shabbat. The synagogue. The local congregation. The church, if you will. He came out of the small group stuff and he went down to the local assembly where all the other small groups were meeting because it was the Shabbat. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read as was his custom. The Greek word for custom, it means as was his habit. You know, that which you do which is habitual. That which you do all the time. You do it just without thinking. That's how ingrained it is in you. Let me give you some other translations that kind of bears this out. This is the ICB translation. Jesus traveled to Nazareth where he'd grown up. On the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as he always did. As he always did. As he always did. Without exception, he always did. Man! Can I get an amen? amen? This is counterculture even to the church. Luke 4.16, this is the CEV translation. Jesus went back to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as usual, he went to the meeting place on the Sabbath where he stood up to read from the scriptures. The weekly Shabbat is what Jesus embraced, found delight in, attended synagogue on, and used for advancing his kingdom and for building his church. So again, in application, hosting and leading a dinner party, a minimum of twice a month, on the evening of Shabbat, Friday night or Saturday at the close of Shabbat, it's an essential part of why the day was made and given to us by God. Jesus used it for outreach, evangelism. It worked like a dream. He did inreach and outreach. And I'm saying, man, we have this unique ability as a community that already keeps Shabbat to do what he did. Reach our friends. Help them to encounter the love of God at a dinner party on Shabbat. It's so Jesus. It is so what he did. I feel like I'm following him. When I come to congregation on the seventh day, I feel like I'm following the Jewish Messiah who reached out to the Gentiles and brought them in. That's what it's all about. And the call of God is to return to the ancient paths wherein the blessings dwell. So what would that look like? Well, you invite the people from your list Try to do that a week ahead of time. Try to use Evite or Paperless Post. It organizes it for you. You can even assign people what they need to bring in terms of side dishes and beverages. I always encourage the host to do the main dish. Start with appetizers or beverages, right? Those are great icebreakers for the evening. Pray over the dinner and then eat. There's no real agenda here. Just be normal, natural. Don't get like like spooky with people well how how thou's doing tonight you know you don't have to, 
You don't have to speak in King James Bible language, right? Be normal, be natural, just love on people and look for opportunities to serve them, connect with them, and let them tell their stories. I always ask people lots of questions. People love to talk about themselves, and they always have great stories to tell. So, at dessert time, everyone gets some dessert, and this is where you get to light the candles. This is where you get to pull everyone into a little bit more of a spiritual experience. So all of a sudden, that dinner party transitions a little bit, like it did for Jesus over and over and over, and people got a, t- a chance to kind of do some reflection and some thanksgiving, right? We always ask people, share a thanksgiving, something you're thankful for. And people just open up. People love to, to, to say what they're thankful for. It helps them develop a, a positive frame of reference for their life this week. Yeah? And, and people, we need that. And then just look for opportunities to share the love of God. Be spirit-led. And, and if you've got a group that's already pretty, pretty, you know, if you've if you got a group where most everyone's a believer and they're not like newbies or, or, or you know, those that have yet to come to faith, um, you can actually do a much fuller liturgy that's more engaging. We'll give you those resources so that you can do that and get good at that. But you can make that as, as spiritual or, or, or as seeker-sensitive as you need to make that depending on who comes to your group. And then you dismiss them and clean up. I always have a, I always have a start time and I always have an end time. And by putting the end time on the invite, they all know, oh yeah, this is from like 6 to 9 or it's from 6 to 10. They all know when they're supposed to leave. I have found, I've done these for years and years and years, I have found if you don't put the end time on, yeah, it's camping at your house, you know? You'll find them on the couches in the morning, still drinking, all right. So you got to... You got to give a dismissal time and they'll, they'll be good. They'll help you clean up and, 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 and leave. So, all right. So, um, so I think what I want to do now is just to go to our resource page on our website. Do we have those? Great. So, um, and you can upload this teaching too later on and you'll go there and you can find this slide as well. So you don't have to write it down if you don't want to. Okay. So we got graftedin.com and you go down to the about tab and she's going to go there for me. See the about? Yep. Go to the about uh, tab, drop down, and click on resources. There's our resource page. And if you scroll down there, uh, a Rev Shabbat. In fact, look at the first one. Go, go down a little bit. Shabbat, in-home Shabbat service guide. So you're somewhere, and there's no congregation to attend. And you want to do Shabbat. We'll show you how to do Shabbat right where you're at. You can connect with us if there's no house church or no local church. Uh, that you can attend, you can do that. Now, go down one more. Uh, so, a Rev Shabbat, I have a video, and I go through how to do an Rev Shabbat meal. It's, it's like, I think, a 20-minute video, maybe less, uh, but it's a really easy, friendly guide to how to do that. And then the Learn More tab, if you'll click on that, it takes you to our Rev Shabbat liturgy book. So, now you can print that out and use that as well. You got a video, you got the liturgy booklet, you can do that. If you go back, we've got the next tab is the Havdalah tab. So the, there you go, Havdalah, same thing, video and learn more. A Rev means evening of. A Rev Shabbat is always Friday evening. Motzi means end of. Motzi Shabbat is the end of the Shabbat. That's always Saturday night. Friday night meal or a Saturday night meal. Party right? Get your game on. Have some fun. Invite your friends and look for opportunities to share the love of Jesus with your group. You'll love it, I promise you. If you don't, you get your money back. All right. It's free. So that's why I said that. Okay, so uh, I just want to open it up for any questions that you might have. And then right after our service uh, in, at 315, below the sanctuary in room one, I have some sign-up sheets if you want to come down and, and ask more questions and get signed up to make a commitment to do this every other week over the summer months. That'd be great. I'll meet you down there at 315. But uh, my beautiful wife, Minister Don, if you'll come up. If you have a question about what I've been teaching on today, the Arab Shabbat, the outreach, all that kind of stuff, raise your hands and she'll run to you with the microphone. Do you have a question, anyone? Maybe she won't run, but... 
She'll be faster than Robin was. I guarantee it. Okay. Questions on this? All right. In the back, Cheyenne. I love Robin. He was just like. I swore it was Billy Jack for a minute, but. How do you have subtle conversations about God with people without making it awkward or driving them away? Okay, such a good question. How do you, how do you converse in a way that's not awkward? You know, well, I think you just have to be natural and normal and let the conversation kind of happen all on its own. As you're talking with people, you know, you're building a relationship. Yeah, and it might take, it might take you know, two, five, 20 dinners with them where they actually really start opening up with you. But what's going to happen is as they're talking, they'll probably share something that might be challenging in their life. And as you're listening to them, listen to the Holy Spirit. A lot of times the Spirit of God will just drop into your heart another question to ask them that will open that up or give you something to share that they might really say, wow, I want to know more about that or whatever. But you get to actually run with that, and that dialogue will have a life of its own. And if you, if you have on your, uh, what do they call that, social awareness cap or antennas, you know, when people are like taking a step away from you, or, or if they're looking around, they're looking for the exit sign is what they're doing, okay? They're not admiring your home. They're trying to look for the front door. You know, just realize sometimes they'll give you some social cues that, that the conversation is getting uncomfortable. And so you can just kind of let that go. It takes time. It takes a little practice. You'll just kind of, you'll, you'll find that as you just do it. Jesus at the will with the woman. Remember the Samaritan woman, you know? He says, give me some water, you know? And she's saying, do you even know who I am? Because you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and a woman. So why are you asking me to get you water? And what does he say? He turns the conversation all the way around. He says, well, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Because the water I give, if you drink it, you'll never thirst again. Wow, what a way to turn the conversation around, right? So, now you can do that in a normal and natural way. And if the person responds to that, you know that you're right on track. If they don't, then you'll know you kind of missed it. And maybe that wasn't God, but guess what? It was a learning experience. It's part of your database. So I say practice, have fun, you know? Is that good, Cheyenne? Thank you. Just do it, see what happens, right? But be careful, because there are, you, you do want to be kind of careful with, you know, with people. Okay, enough said. Someone else, question? I need questions. I live for questions, live. It's like batter up right? Anyone else have, have a question? Good. Thank you, Rocio. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We got maybe time for another question, and then we'll dismiss. Yeah, I don't know why it always is the farthest person away from you, Don. That's just Murphy's Law. If you stay back there, no, if you stay back there, the next question will come from up here. Okay, go ahead, Rocio. How do you keep a Shabbat healthy and um, not become a riot or whatever? Because right. if you're inviting people, um, it's it's kind of it's. I know this is a difficult question, but there's a lot of Christians that don't believe in drinking, and so if you invite a Christian, how do you deal with that controversy? As far as you know, I mean, I. Every time that I think about this question, you know, because they're like, well, they drink in your church. <laughs> they don't believe in drinking because they believe that if you drink, then you're not spiritual enough or you're not giving the Holy Spirit this, that room to become, come and dwell in you. And so then there has been a few instances where people just drink a slightly little bit more and they're just a little bit happier. And so then that's always, that's always, that doesn't, not like a good testimony, you know? Thank you. I got it. Thank you. The answer is love. Amen. The answer is love. We're, we're commanded to do all things through love. So you got to just kind of be sensitive with those around you, right? When people say, oh, you guys drink, I say, yeah, but you guys eat pork. So 
why don't we both let it go and have a good evening? No, that probably would be too much for most people, but. So what you gotta do is you gotta say, hey, I'm not here, I'm not here to judge anyone else, okay? But I'm also not here to be judged by anyone else either, okay? So if you're inviting someone who's a Christian that you know thinks that drinking is a sin, and there are Christians that do believe that, then you need to tell them, it's your job to tell them ahead of time, hey, I want you to let you know, <laughs> you know, it's the Jesus group, the one that turned the water into wine and drank wine himself. Yeah, they'll be drinking some wine. If that's a problem, I understand if you would rather not come. And then what you can maybe do is maybe do a group just for those who don't drink and have that group maybe separate if, if that's a big deal. But you got to think through that and know that you're going to have people that come. And, uh, and some people will drink too much. That's life. That happens all the time anyway, right? Outside of our groups, in our family clans, at celebrations, anniversaries, birthdays. Yeah, you just got to, as the group leader, be kind of on top of that. If someone's drinking too much, you need to take them to the side and say, you know, maybe not even at that moment, but during the week and say, hey, just want to let you know, I just really think that you drink too much. If I'm wrong, I apologize, but help me out on this, right? So you work with people. You work with people. Now, I've had people pull me aside and tell me, Pastor Mark, you've, you've, you've had too much wine. You've had too much wine. I said, what? They said, yeah, you're like loud. You're spitting when you're talking. I don't know if you realize. You know, I said, that's how you win debates. Raise your, raise your voice and spit a lot, right? So, so, but anyway, I let this person kind of go on with, with, with me for a while. And then I told him, I said, I don't want to burst your bubble, but I haven't had one drop of alcohol tonight. No, that's just me unplugged. If you need me to tone it down, give me a glass of wine. Tone it down, Mr. McClellan, right? So, uh, so yeah, so, so, you know, just, just don't automatically judge someone who's happy because they got a glass of wine in their hand, like, oh, they've been drinking too much. No, actually they haven't. And so just chill, relax, and you'll have some problems you have to address along the way. That's just the nature of a group. But we're going to grow together in Messiah. We're going to love each other. We will offend each other. We will offend each other from time to time. But that's why we have grace, to forgive one another. And we're going to stick together because the Shabbat community is just a collection of subgroups of families and believers that make up one big family. So we'll work through our issues with grace and with love and try to accommodate everyone as best we can. And so the first job is tell everyone, don't judge, no one judge each other. Just let all that go. Let's have fun tonight. Let's focus on what unites us and see what God's going to do. So that's what we'll do. All right, good. All right, well, Shabbat Shalom. That's the end of my message.